How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the NHL playoffs on the third line plug, Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me for today's episode, and I'm super excited to have him on. I've wanted to have him on for a long time, <laughs> and I'm glad that he's come back to the podcast. My esteemed co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, welcome back to the show, bud. How's it going? Thanks. It's great. I put on too much sunscreen to get a tan, though, so uh, I'm still my pasty white self. Yeah, so you're definitely still on brand. Yeah, still on brand. I do love that term, though, that the Audible Boys coined for you. What, brand? On brand. I've never even, I, I've heard the term brand, but I've never heard on brand. Oh, isn't that a pretty typical web term? Well, maybe, but I don't go that deep into the internet. That's true, that's true. Yeah. Now, Tim, we're going to have a great episode to talk about, not only because you are making your triumphant return, huh? plug Sunscast, but also because today's episode, we are going to be doing our conference finals recap, as well as giving our predictions for the 2023 Stanley Cup final. Now, this would be the time of the episode, Tim, where I would ask, how has things been going? But I understand that we're under a bit of a time restraint this evening, so... We're going to jump right into it because there has been some hockey news that we need to talk about. And the big news story since we last recorded, and actually, before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Santamore, third line plug, previous co-host and guest. He very much, he, it's always Joseph, <laughs> It's Joseph. but you know what though? He did give, so I want to give him a shout out because he did fill in as a co-host for my last episode. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry. Yeah. And he did give me one of the best compliments. I have to say there's two compliments I've taken away from the show. One of them came from you and the other came from Joseph, this past recording. Okay. So the recording, he says, and he told me on air, by the way, that he has been reached out by a number of people in the past to jump on the Sense podcast. He's told everybody no, except us. Oh, Wow. Why are we the special ones? Honestly, he just says that, you know, well, not only just because he he and I have had a great relationship and the three of us have had a great time when we've recorded, but he also says that we just bring a lack of negativity to what we do. We're the positive sense podcast. Yeah. We are us. Oh, that means, does that mean we have Kevin energy? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Kevin's pretty positive. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I don't know if we've got Kevin energy. We're kind of in between. Kind of in between that, though. Yeah. But going back to what I was saying. So, yeah, there has been some big news stories that's broken. Now, in the last couple of seasons, Tim, I mean, we've talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we've talked about, okay, what do they got to do to get over the hump? Do they need to make change in the front office? Do they need to start trade players? So they finally got over the hump. They got over the first round. Losing five games in the second round to Florida. And I can't, rec- I think we talked about this, the Dubis, the Kyle Dubas postseason presser interview. Yeah. And you can tell he looked like a guy who was pretty much accepted he was going to lose his job. I felt kind of bad for him, honestly. Kyle Dubas got fired. Yeah. and But here's the shitty thing about it. And you know, when I was talking to, a gentleman who works on the site. He's a big lease man. He and I were talking about this. And I was like, you know, 
it is really shitty about Kyle Dubas. Because you know what? And I I don't know I've re- I've referred him as smug fuck Dubas in the past. And rightfully so, because he just has that look about him. But you just you just look at a man during that exit interview, you're like, oh my god, that's a guy who just lost his job. Well, the other thing about Dubas too that was kind of incredible is the amount of people who because that firing if you read between the lines and read some of the reporting around the Leafs was pretty spontaneous. Like it seemed to have happened within four days and a bunch of people left with him, including Jason Spezza. Like that's why I think the firing was such a mistake is you lost a lot of talent and you probably caused morale issues in chaos. Well, with that sort of firing. So Brent Shanahan's going to have to do a lot to rebuild trust. And I don't envy the man who was almost as quickly hired to replace Dubas. Yeah. And we'll talk about Brad Tree living here in just a second. But you know what? I was watching Steve Dangle's video about this. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was that from what you were seeing and what we were hearing, it seemed like... Brendan Shanahan went to Dubas and says, okay, we would like you to come back. Kyle was very on the fence because this season took a lot out of him yep. and his family. And I think that's that's a big thing that we talk to a lot of former head coaches, a lot of former general managers. What is the one common thing they always say among all of them? It's the time restraint. It's the time that you have to dedicate well, to this. Think of, I'm going to echo that because like, as you get higher up in any organization, the work, it just eats you alive. Like uh, a lot of those management consultants, they're working 80 hour weeks, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's hard work. It You get paid a shitload, but it, it takes your life. It does. And I know that in the past, you've had former players like Chris Pronger who went into advisory roles just because like they've openly said like, yeah, they want to run a hockey team. They want to be a GM. And then they realize how much time, how much effort, how much work goes into it. Yeah. Like leadership planning, all that stuff is, it takes time. It takes dedication. And I'm not sure how many of our listeners work emotionally and mentally intensive jobs like the gm role is like that's all planning and relationship you get mentally tired but you don't get physically tired you know what's the worst part about that you can't sleep and and that's a big thing i mean i know for myself i've been burnt out at jobs and but even for myself like it's never affected my sleep patterns but yeah if you work jobs like this that are so it's mentally demanding. It's emotionally demanding. It's taxing. It's taxing, but your body doesn't quite get it because it wasn't physically taxed. Yeah. So the sleep pattern doesn't change. Like I remember that the Bank of Canada when I was working like 50, 60 hour weeks and I was just like, uh. and then seeing like um, the senior and principals working like 80 or 90, I'm like, <laughs> Like, how do you guys live? Like, I know how they live. It's just, you gotta, you gotta give up something to operate at that sort of level. Honestly, I'm really glad that Kyle Dubas spoke up about it. But like, yeah, I think 
for a lot of these jobs, there you re you really only can have one point person, and there's only so much work that you can delegate between people. So you are always going to have those jobs that are really rough, really mentally taxing, and just will burn you out, and yeah. will take the eighty hours because you can't really divide it between two people and have the work done any faster. You'll probably just have one guy who is twiddling in her thumbs, really. And that's almost a worse place to be. Well, even going back to that exit interview, and you saw mentally how much of draining it was on him. Do you think it really came as a surprise that, I mean, news broke today that Dubas has now been hired as the Penguins president of hockey operations? No. I think it's... Like at the same time, as much as like it's mentally draining, people are people who like those roles will do those roles. And honestly, a change of scenery can do a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you know what though? It's kind of like what Phil Kessel went through as a Toronto Maple Leaf. If you really think about this for a second here, Tim, because you know, we were talking about how physically and mentally demanding that job is. Then you top that with how hockey crazy Toronto is and oh, how yeah. much the media and social media is how hard it is. Like we were talking about people that might have jobs like that or are very mentally and physically demanding, but you don't have people on social media telling you, you suck. You're doing a terrible job. You're this, you're that he's going to Pittsburgh. And while Pittsburgh is a penguin city, like if you talk to, I know we've talked to, John Hill, the solar bear fan. I know he's talked about how much Pittsburgh is a penguins town, but you know what? If you, I'm sure if you read the newspapers in Pittsburgh, you'd be surprised how much more it's actually a Steelers town than it is a penguins town. And that's where the media coverage is. Right. But also I Toronto, even for like, like I'll follow basketball media and like the New York times or the LA times, those are basketball cities and it's like even the way they cover the sport is nowhere near as insane as like Damian Cox and the Toronto Sun. Although I guess like the NY Post can get pretty heavy on the Rangers. So it might just be that I'm read that I'm reading the upper class sports criticism. Yeah. And not through a Molotov New York Post sports criticism. Yeah, which is only, what, two steps away from being a gossip magazine? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. They're still not as bad as British tabloid. Oh, God, the British tabloids are bad. Because you will get actual news in the NY Post. So let's talk about Kyle Dubas's tenure as Leafs general manager. Because, you know, it, there's a very legit argument that Kyle Dubas is probably one of the better GMs that the least I've ever had. And I was talking to Ryan, who's an electrician at work today about Dubas. And I said, you know what? If you really think about this for a second, if you take away the Tavares contract and the fact he way overpaid for Marner, I wonder how differently Dubas's tenure as at least GM is looked on now. That's the problem. Like that Tavares signing was so bad it massively kneecapped the rest of the team. Like, imagine you don't side Tavares, you keep Kadri, and then use that money to upgrade goal and get one more defenseman. 
Like that's unfortunately that Tavares signing kind of sunk the whole ship. Yeah. At the time, it was a great story because the point that he made up, he says, because a couple of years prior, the Leafs lost out on Steven Stamkos. Yeah. Could you imagine if the Leafs in 2016 had landed him? Think of Stamkos and then Matthews comes into the picture and then Marner makes the team and him and Nylander makes the team. You had these guys making the team. And he and I were talking about this. I said, you know what? The Tavares signing was a great story for Toronto. It was a great get for the Leafs at the time because it's proved players from Ontario want to play in Toronto. Yeah. But I said, here's the counter argument to this. Claude Giroux. The Claude Giroux signing, at least for the Sens, makes sense. Because even if you don't want to play him at center, you can still play him on the wing. I guess the other thing, though, is like, I ha- the Tavares story is good, but it was never, re- paying him as much as they did was never a hockey fit, because that probably also led to, well, here's some of the other issues that the Leafs had with salary. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, Tavares was not that great on, he was good, but not great in New York. And now he's just older, good, but not great in Toronto, you know? Well, I think he was pretty good on the island, considering he really didn't have. But then look what the Islanders did the first season he was gone, and they didn't actually add that much talent. They just changed the coach. Yeah. And removed the and changed the captain. Yeah, but Tavares did what he could with what he has. And now you're coming into a situation in Toronto where you're not the vocal point of the offense. Yeah. You're a big piece, but you're not the vocal point. No, you're not the focal point, but I don't know. I I just don't I never really liked the Tavares signing. Now someone's gonna bring up audio of Tim thinking the Tavares signing is great. Yeah. Circa I'll be like, circa 18? Yeah, but I'm not a fan of it. Oh, you know what, though? If somebody can go back and find that clip from five years ago, you'll find actual footage of us in your old apartment. Oh, yeah, that was the Stampede weekend. That was the that was the episode where I couldn't get out of the chair because the chair was like a <laughs> five inches off the ground. <laughs> and then it got stuck. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the Tavares thing in Toronto, like I said, it was a great story at the time, but what need or role did that fill? Yeah, like that that cadre didn't. It, it, it does suck to see that Kyle Dubas did get the axe. And you know what? We were saying about, we were calling for this last year. When it was, okay, you haven't made it out of the first round. It's time to make changes. And an argument that John Scott, former NHL enforcer and former all-star all-star game MVP, I like to add, he made a point on his podcast. I was listening to this a little while ago, and he's talking about Dubas. And he says, you know, he puts the blame on the big four because the big four went to Dubas and says, we need better leadership. Okay, no problem. He went on Mark Giordano. And Jason Spezza. Yes. We need defensive help. Okay, brings in TJ Brody. Brings in Mark Giordano. Okay, cool. Okay, we need some more pieces for the bottom six. He goes out and does that. 
He does everything that they have at, that they've asked. Why are they not the ones being held responsible? They're the ones that didn't show up. Well, that's the other thing too. Is like Dubas did like in the shoestring budget that he had left, the guy worked miracles. Yeah. So like Pittsburgh's gonna have a very very. I I'm scared of Pittsburgh next season because if Dubas can kind of do what he did with, but he has twenty million dollars to fix the Penguins, and instead of insulating a big four that doesn't do sh- sorry that outside of Willie Nylander didn't show up, yep, and instead you're insulating Crosby, Malkin, Latang, yeah, who that's scary. Home. And you have Malcolm and Malkin and Crosby, who were both healthy last year. And those guys have aged incredibly well. Yeah. So it's like, unless like Crosby somehow just gets like a bunch of arthritis or something, that the Penguins team could be quite scary, given what Dubas has been able to do. Mm-hmm. And with Dubas heading to Pittsburgh being their president of hockey operations. I've got to ask the question. Do you feel he took that job? Because the Sens job's not there. Because everybody was pointing at Dubas was going to go to Ottawa and be the GM. Um, but it doesn't appear that Dior, or Pierre Dorian's leaving. I I don't think so. Like, I never really bought into that too much, honestly. Um, but... I also think Pierre Dorian's done a very good job. So I didn't think he was getting fired. No, but I mean, new ownership. Yeah. Hell, they're going to come in, might do the same. Now, we talked about this time about Kyle Dubas. Let's talk about former Calgary Flames general manager, Brad Tree Living, who is replacing Kyle Dubas as GM. And I'm interested to hear what you have to think as a resident of the city of Calgary, Tim, because for my money, I think this is a huge downgrade. From Dubas. I think it's a downgrade from Dubas. I'm not sure how big of one. Because the the weird thing about Tree Living is... I actually think he drafts... Like, he drafts decently well. He's willing to make the big moves. And he can make the best out of a bad situation. As we saw with the Matthew Kachuk trade. Yeah, I just think about... His drafting... I don't think he's as good of a drafter as I think maybe some people make him out to be. I think for myself is that I find he's a very conservative GM. Yeah. Especially because you, if you go through the trades and the transactions he's made and you, you nailed it on the head there. Like he made the best of his bad situations with Matthew to Chuck. That's a pretty good haul. What he got for him. And then he goes and he trades Sean Monaghan, which is a bad contract to Montreal. Yeah. That's pretty good. I will give him that. You take those two out of it, the only big notable trade I can really think of was Tyler DeFoley. Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton, yeah. Except I'm not... Sh- it's hard to s- say if they got... The Dougie Hamilton trade's a weird one. Because I'm not actually sure who got the better of that. Carol, I think Carolina got the best player. Mm-hmm. But if there was a conflict between player and coach... Getting Noah Hannafin wasn't bad. And it sucked what happened with Adam Fox. Yeah. But Adam Fox wasn't going to play for anyone but the fucking Rangers. 
It is true. It is true. But I was saying to Ryan today, I was like, you know, if you look at the Flames roster, he has got what four guys right now that play that he drafted. Yeah. Shillington, Magipani, Anderson, Dylan Dubé. To be fair, the Magipani is a weird one. When he's on, he's on. I'm trying to see what else we got here. Like another big uh, trade for, oh, the Milan Lucic deal. Bad contract for bad contract. Somehow the Flames got the better of that one. Because remember, Neil was out of the NHL by the end of that season. Yeah. How much do you think James Neal really did that to himself, though? Oh, 100%. He totally did that to himself. I think Lucic in Calgary, as much as he wasn't what he was in Boston, Calgary at least knew how to use him. Yeah. In Edmonton, they were really thinking that he was going to be the next big wingman for McDavid. No. Whereas he doesn't have the foot speed. The, oh. prim, the prime example for me when it comes to player big players going to a team that doesn't work, Wayne Gretzky to St. Louis. <laughs> There's a whole thing about Gretzky going to St. Louis play with Brad Hall. Where, okay, Brad Hall, big-time goal scorer, third over to all-time in goals. He's not suited for what Gretzky needed. Gretzky needed a guy who could skate. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> If we're looking at some other... Sorry, I screwed up the trade for Dougie Hamilton because the Flames also got Elias Lindholm out of that trade. So I can actually say Trelevin won that one too. The Hamannick trade was pretty bad. A first and two seconds for Hamannick. Mm -hmm. Which the Islanders used to get Noah Dobson. The Brian Elliott trade where the Flames got Brian Elliott for a second and a third. One of the, se one of the seconds became Jordan Kiru. So it's a lot of giving up draft picks and Trelebing definitely overspends with draft picks. On the other hand, it's not like Trelebing has many draft picks to spend. So uh, it's weird because like on the big swings, he hits on the draft pick trades. They usually don't end up looking that great. It's a yeah. bit of a weird pattern. It is. Now we're going to move away from talking about Brad Tree Living and talk about the Calgary Flames because while Tree Living was relieved of his duties earlier this year, the Calgary Flames have a new GM, and it's a former Calgary Flame forward, Craig Conroy. I kind of like this one because it it really is a good example of a player just kind of rising up through the same organization with Craig Conroy being a former captain, then moving into the the AG into the office, and then as an AGM, and now as a GM, all with the Flames. Yeah, and from what people say, he had he drafted. He was involved with some key draft picks. I believe Shillington was one of them. but uh, And he also has a good eye for talent. So it'll be interesting to see what Conroy does with the Flames. And who they hire as coach. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. And you know what? There's still some big names on the market too. Which is kind of nice. It's just going to be a matter of will they go to Calgary. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you live in Calgary. You know what a good city that place is. Oh, yeah, I love it. So we're actually going to close off the news stories, Tim, by talking about the Nashville Predators, because they also hired a new head coach, former... Actually, I believe he was on the expansion Nashville Predators, Andrew Burnett. Yes, he was. So it's really funny that uh, 
coach turned GM hires player turned coach. So uh, I really like this pickup for Nashville. Nashville has a lot of players who were offensively gifted, but underperformed under coach Hines, coach Haynes's system. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Burnett, he's all offense all the time. And, but he deploys leverage pretty well so that even in the games where it's been all offense, he's like, okay, I'm going to put out my more, he gets his leverage, right? So he's not giving up leads at the end of the game. Which we saw last season because he was the head coach of the Florida Panthers that won 58 games. Yeah. So I really do like uh, picking up Andrew Burnett here. Yeah. Nashville's a, Nashville's a team that the front office, it's really interesting. You know, you were talking about with Craig Conroy, how he really rose through the ranks. Same thing in Nashville. Where mm-hmm. really since the expansion year, they've only had the two GMs. And the old GM is now the president of hockey operations. Yeah. Just wild. Yeah, because Poyle's been there for how long? Since the beginning. Since the beginning. So is Trotz. Yeah, trust. Yeah, trust me. There at the beginning, but he, you know, won a cup in Washington, and came back. So yeah, so I'm, and I'm really liking what Trotz is saying about uh, the way that they're going to approach the draft. Uh, his exact comments were, "You guys go and find someone who can win games. I can easily find you someone who could fill out the third and fourth line." Yeah. So it sounds like he's. He's getting his scouts to be aggressive and look for flawed game breakers in the later rounds. Yeah, so. it's definitely got the energy. I, I know you're not a big NFL fan, but the head coach of the Detroit Lions, he definitely has that kind of energy to him right now. Yeah. With some and, of the making. I love it. I think that's the right energy for the NHL. Fill up your top lines with guys who can break a game and find them where you can. You can fill, let someone else draft uh, the third and fourth line, or that you're just going to sign on free agency day. So, Tim, that closes off the news storage, but it could only mean one thing. It's time to start talking about the conference finals series. Now, let's talk about the third round overall, Tim, because, you know, and we talked about this the first round, for, for as good as it was, the second round was just kind of a thud. Round three was also just kind of sort of underwhelming as well. I mean, overtime aside. Oh, yeah, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So this is actually incredible. So when I was riding trains in Tokyo during my honeymoon, they'll actually have news on in the subway and in the trains. And I was standing there with uh, Chelsea and her aunts and uncle, and we were looking, and they had news about the first Florida-Carolina game which went to six overtime, right? And I'm like, that is so weird. Oh, sorry, four overtimes. That's so weird. I have never seen hockey mentioned in Japan outside of the silly, an- that one silly anime. But seeing news about the Panthers and the Hurricanes on the train, that's significant. And then the next day they had updates on... Uh, the Dallas and Vegas game. So that was crazy. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So you can tell that hockey is at least growing in Japan. Yeah. Like it's on the radar. 
Yeah. And that's not just because former third line plug gets Jamie McLennan played here <laughs> there with the Palm Paper Cranes. Yeah. Well, oh, maybe that maybe we just bring him back for the Japanese broadcast. By the way, I I love the fact I don't know if you've ever looked at Noodles's Wikipedia page. I love the fact he played three seasons in St. Louis. He played in Calgary. He played with the Islanders. The Nippon Paper Cranes is the picture they have of him on on Wikipedia. Well, it's his last paper. It's his most recent player photo, right? Yeah, that's just that's. I'm sorry, that just kills me though. I love the pun, that they made an English pun for their name. Let's get into talking about the conference final, Tim. Starting off in the Western Conference, the number one seed in the Pacific Division, Vegas Golden Knights versus the second seed in the Central, Dallas Stars. This is the first playoff series between the two teams since the 2020 COVID bubble year. I gotta tell you, that was a weird-ass playoffs. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, yeah. So for the predictions, I had the Vegas Golden Knights in seven. Joseph had the Dallas Stars in six games. And the Vegas Golden Knights are heading to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 2018, winning it in six games. Now, I do want to start off talking about this series with an incident that happened, and I hate to see plays like this, and I can't believe he did this, the Jamie Ben Cross jack on Mark Stone. That was just no excuse for that. Although it's very funny that the stars were better without Ben than they were with him. It reminds me of Michael Bunting with the Leafs. Yeah. There's no place for that sort of hit in hockey. No. And I can't believe, I know Jamie Ben's a pretty physical player and that's the style he plays. I just can't believe that Jamie Ben meant to do that. Yeah. But honestly, two games might not have been enough because that was vicious. It was. And God, I, I hate to see stuff like that, especially to a good, such a good guy like Mark Stone as well. Well, it's like there's so many things like that that happened this playoffs. I really hope that D, the Department of Player Safety really reevaluates the way that they approach discipline in the game because it's not getting through. Like we had that brutal hit by Matt Dumba. We had Eric, sorry. Why am I? I almost said Eric Halla, but it is uh, Timo Meyer getting absolutely fucking destroyed. Yep. We had the Michael Bunting hit. Now this, and I'm sh- I know I'm missing some more. Yeah. I, oh, I, the I, hit on Mark Shifley. The Shifley, yep. Just so many bad hits. Yeah, and I get it. It's playoffs. You know, emotions are high. But still, you need to conduct yourself in a matter of that. And if D- the players can't, DPOS has to make it so that even if their emotions are high, there's that thing yanking at the back of the head. It's like, I'm going to be out the rest of the series if I do that. Yeah. No, it, you know, as shitty as it is, I understand why hits like this occur. Because when, when it's playoff time, like I said, with the emotion being so high, but when it's all in and you have a chance to go to the next round or go to the Stanley Cup Finals, you are going to do everything in your power to get there. I understand, but... Yeah, it's not an excuse. I'm not it's not an excuse, excuse. But I'm using that as an example. DPOS has to make the expected penalty for doing that outweigh that. 
Like that's the only way you're going to get these hits out of hockey. Like the penalty has to be worse. So what have you been your recommendation? If you were what, five, player if, safety, what would you at do? least five, five games, at least that oh. it was that bad of a hit. One of them that you forgot to Pitcherangelo on dry. Right. That was brutal too. So I do want to turn the attention to Jake Ottinger here, Tim, because, you know, last season in the playoffs, we talked so highly about him and especially against the series versus Calgary. I gotta say, while Ottinger's looked good, he's not looked great. And this is a series that it really showed, especially with how well Aiden Hill played for Vegas. Yeah, it's funny because like Vegas, Vegas really ran Ottinger out of the building on multiple occasions because like when you look at the fancy stats this was a closer series than it was like sure it went to game six with multiple overtimes it was a close series but if Ottinger had played better we would have gotten our game seven I was gonna say game six I think it was like six nothing game six was six nothing like we got multiple overtimes in this series yeah if Ottinger didn't just get blown the fuck out like there and Dallas got shut out twice. And in the games where Vegas won, Vegas did one thing very, very well. They shut down the Robertson line. Yeah. And Jason Robertson, especially, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it was game either three or four in Dallas was fantastic. The guy had like 11 shots. Yeah. Game four. They ended up winning that game three to two which was another really close game that needed overtime. And Robertson had two goals. But that was the thing is like Dallas is a good team. This was a really good, this was a good series. Having Pavelski back really lifted the stars. This was definitely a series that I I think the reason why I I was saying about my comments when talking about the, the series as a whole is just because I thought it would be a lot tighter. I thought it was going to be, you know, a lot more closer not to have guys like a Jake Ottinger being blown out. Yeah. Like game. It's funny because like game three and game six are really the anomalies. Game one went to overtime. Game two went to overtime. Game four went to overtime. Game five was determined by an empty net. Yeah. Like those were the tight, fast games we were expecting. Yeah, there were a couple of goals that he let in that even Katrina's just looking at me going like, do you think he's injured? What's funny is game five, I was asking the same thing about Aiden Hill. Like I was like, is Jonathan Quick going to come in? Because that third, the eventual game winner where it just flipped right over Aiden Hill's shoulder, I was like, you can't let that one in. But no, this was a very good series to watch. Both teams played really well defensively. I think Vegas had a bit of a defensive edge because they really kept the area in front of Aiden Hill clean. But credit to Dallas for keeping uh, Vegas mostly to the points. Like it was just a very good series overall. Mm -hmm. Now going forward for the Dallas Stars, Tim, like how do you see... 
them going forward because their star guys like the Jamie Benz, Sagans, they're getting older. And while you could put a lot of weight on Jason Robertson, it's what do you think they're going to do? Do they have to maybe, I don't want to say shake things up. Because for Dallas, I don't follow the stars close enough where I really can give my honest opinion on, okay, what do you do in the offseason? Do you maybe make a trade? Do you sign guys? I don't know. Um, What's funny is I th- their defense, y- you can actually just run it back. Um, pretty much except, like their defense is all signed. Miro Heiskanen, Essa Lindell, Lindell, great top line. Colin Miller and Han- Yanni Hampaka, very good second line. Ryan Suter, you've got one more year of Ryan Suter doing Ryan Suter things. Yeah. And Niels Lundqvist is back, and Harley Thomas are back as your six and seven. Great. Your forwards, well, you have Sagan, Ben, Hintz, Robertson, Mason Marchment, Joe Pavelski, Radic Vasca. They're all still signed. Nil has $7 million to uh, bring in four more forwards. Hopefully, Jamie, like, hopefully, Jamie, Ben, and Tyler Sagan aren't like they can play decently well for the next few years. Like they continue playing like they have been and don't like age any worse. Mm-hmm. Like, or if their aging is graceful still. Yeah. Like a Pavelski, like Pavelski. You could probably bring it. You can run it back. And Jim Montgomery has been great. No, Jim Montgomery has been fantastic for Dallas and, it's going to be great to see where the stars going. I do want to make one final comment here about game four before we head off and talk about the Hurricanes and Panthers is there was a couple of special guests in the building for that one. Oh, who was it? So for game four, the baddest man on the planet, Mr. Mike Tyson. Nice. And a certain gentleman, and I want to probably can go on record to say a personal hero of yours, the nature boy, Rick Flair. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that far, but that's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, and it, it's kind of inter- It is kind of neat to see Ric Flair and Mike Tyson together. One because there's the wrestling connection there, because Tyson, was, you know, was in WrestleMania and everything. But for me, Ric Flair, it's interesting to see him with the Dallas Stars, given that for so many years he was associated with the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, well, it seems like that association is broken. Yeah, that Dark Side of the Ring episode kind of did it. Yeah. Which, honestly, I I watched it when it came out. And I'm, not e- I'm not even surprised. Probably because I already knew about that story, so... Yeah. Although, Season 4 of Dark Side of the Ring is pretty good so far. Okay. There's only been one episode. So we're going to turn attention to the Eastern Conference. The number one seed in the Metro Carolina Hurricanes versus the second wild card Florida Panthers. This is the first playoff series between the two teams. I had the Carolina Hurricanes in seven games. Joseph had the Florida Panthers in seven. The Florida Panthers are heading to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1996. Clearly... It was the year of the rap, and now is the year of the cop. The Florida Panthers sweep. I did not see right. Nobody saw the sweep coming. And this is the weird thing about this series. Carolina was probably the Carolina controlled the play, rarely trailed. Most of these games went to freaking overtime. 
Yep. Carolina just could not buy a goal. It is true. And Sergei Bobrovsky, I mean, he was the clear-cut winner for the Consmith Trophy, but Matthew Dachuk, with the OT winners in game one and two, scored those two big goals in game four, especially the go-ahead goal with less than 10 seconds left to go in the series. I think there's a serious case to be made. That Matthew Kachuk is the Conn Smythe winner. 100%. Like, yeah, that guy's been clutch. He He's very clutch. And the thing is, even with how great Sergey Bobrovsky is, if Matthew Kachuk won it, I don't think a lot of people would be upset. I think a lot of people would be very much like, yeah, that's a pretty good choice. But I also want to bring up this fancy statistic. Okay. Carolina. 15 expected goals in the series. They scored six. Sergei Bobrovsky. And usually expected goals and goals are pretty close over a series. Sergei Bobrovsky stole nine goals. Like, just put that number in your head. In four games, he stole nine goals. Like, imagine how different of a series this would be if Carolina had scored nine more goals. It definitely would have gone seven. There's no two ways about that. Or even, or Carolina would have put the sweep on. It could have. Like, that's mind-boggling. Like, some of that is just a known issue with the Carolina Hurricanes. They just cannot score. Yep. But they play by committee. And it was a very good season for them. Very good run. And just a very well coached and the weird thing is it wasn't even that they weren't making adjustments they were making adjustments on the fly rod brindward did everything he could but sergey bobrovsky and matthew kachuk just led the way they did and with this sweep i did not realize this the carolina hurricanes are 0 in 12 in the eastern conference finals since they last made the finals in 2006 but that also means that they've been to the conference finals three times and been swept, swept every single time which is insane to me it is insane it is insane now you know i think when we were talking about the toronto maple leafs there earlier in these playoffs dim and i talked about how i would never drink the kool-aid on the Toronto maple leafs because i've done it so many times it's blown up in my face i will never drink the kool-aid about the carolina hurricanes again I am sorry. How many times, if you go through the years of our doing playoff episodes, how many times have I picked Carolina to do things and go far, and they haven't? And it's blowing up in my face. I don't know what to say, man. Well, I'll tell you one thing you could say, Tim. Game one. Now, I say to my supervisor the day after this game happened, I said, you know what? I'm all for overtime hockey in the playoffs. When a game goes to almost 2 a.m. local time and fans are bowing out, that's understandable. And it begs the question, Tim, and I want to ask you about this. Say you go to a hockey game, right? Now, obviously, in the regular season, it's different because it has like the five-minute overtime and goes to the shootout. Playoff. Which overtime? Say it goes a long overtime. Which overtime would you just say, okay, you know what? I'm done. Probably at the end of three. Yeah, so you're saying what the fans did in Carolina is not... 
not unreasonable. Yes. That's pretty reasonable. And you know who I was thinking about when this game happened to him? Was a former third-line plug guest, Ron Tugnet. Because remember when he was talking about when he played for Pittsburgh against the Flyers? And he said he went to five overtimes. And it's just like how physically demanding that is in the body. Imagine how gassed these guys must have been. And you know, for as great Sergei Bobrovsky would have been, if Sergei Bobrovsky had a couple of bad games after this one, you could 100% understand. Yeah. I'm amazed that he has held up as well as he has after that game. The guy's on a mission. Because, yeah, like, it's interesting because a lot of the discourse around that game after game one was just, like, do we just bring in, like, a shooter to something after three overtime? Because, like, yeah, four, five, six overtimes are ridiculous. Yeah, and, like, I mean, I know it's been a well-known comment through these playoffs that Sergei Bobrovsky loses, like, 10 to 15 pounds during the playoffs. How much do you think he lost in that overtime? In water weight? Just weight alone. Like four two, overtime. Two, three, two, three pounds of just sweat out water. Yeah. Oh my God. Like that's insane to me. Like, yeah, that's fucked. It is. But I'll tell you what's not fucked, Tim. And this is going to be the final comment I want to make on this series. Before we head off into our predictions to the Stanley Cup final, the goal of the playoffs happened in this series. Oh, yeah. Sasha Barkov. Now, listen, this is not just my opinion saying that this was the goal of the playoffs. When Wayne Gretzky, the motherfucking great one, is saying that was a great goal. Well, I don't know how he did it. Just crazy shit. Can't even describe it. I can describe it right here. Sasha Barkov gets the puck. He has it from behind him. His stick's between his legs. He pulls it through his legs to his backhand. That's a move like when you're playing street hockey. If you're just standing there trying to, it's it's like one of those moves when you stand there and you have the ball behind you and you try to do it. That's like that kind of move. And he just busts that out in a game? Yeah. That's unreal. Like not even not just the creativity, but the mindset and the immediate thought of and the reaction time has to be amazing. Just be like, I'm gonna pull it between my legs and go back. And the coordination has to be exactly on point. Yeah. And the fact that he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna do this. He probably didn't even think, yeah, I'm gonna do it. He probably just did it. Like that's insanity. It is insanity, but I love that even Gretzky on the TNT broadcast, even he's like, oh, I just want to say, I thought that was a pretty, I can't do a Gretzky impression, but you know how he talks. It, do you find Gretzky really boring on that panel? Yes. I'm, I don't know. Gretzky is one of those guys. He's probably the last guy I would ever think would go into TV. But I love the fact that have you ever have you heard this story of how TNT got Gretzky to do it? Didn't they just keep asking until he said yes? No, this is how he did it. Is that Charles Barkley talked about this on Spit and Chicklets? TNT went to Charles Barkley. 
<laughs> and says, hey, Chuck, we spent $500 million to get the rights for the NHL. Can you go talk to Wayne Gretzky see if he'll agree? He says, why do I got to do it? He keeps saying no to us. <laughs> so Charles Barkley goes and asks him. He's like, he goes, hey, Wayne, do you want to go and work for TNT? All right, fine. I'll go work for him. <laughs> That's so funny. But you know what? I 100% agree. I I do find Gretzky very boring to listen to. But I'm also not surprised. It would be like if Sidney Crosby went into TV after he's done. I think Crosby's analysis would be pretty good. I don't know if I would want to listen to Sid break it down, though. I don't know. I didn't think I'd want to listen to Tony Romo. Yeah. He's and then Tony Romo. He's got a face for TV, yeah. but you didn't realize how good he was going to be. Yeah, like, I think I think from what people say about Sid just being a really good, really approachable guy, mm-hmm. I could see him succeeding on TV. Yeah, I don't know if they would want to listen to him do it, though. That's the only problem. I don't know. If Sid wants to do it, I'll listen. You know what I really want to do? You remember how mm-hmm. we were talking about Sidney Crosby has gone into baking? Yeah. I want to try some of Sidney Crosby's baking now. Yeah, I'd eat, a, I'd eat the Crosby scone. Scotty Crosby, let's go. So I do want to make one final comment here. And I want to pull it described audio for our listeners, Tim. For the visually impaired? Yes, described audio. <laughs> Taylor is telling listeners about Ron Tugnut in overtime. Tim makes motion with hand signaling the save in game seven of 1997. The ice cream cone catch. Note. Not the play he's referring to. <laughs> I just love the fact that when you did that, I immediately knew which reference you're making. We're on that wavelength. We really are, man. Now, I got to ask the question, Tim. Are we on the same wavelength that we're ready to talk about the 2003 Stanley Cup final? No, because we're going to talk about the 2023. What? You said 2003. Yeah, I want to talk about the 2003 fucking Stanley Cup final between Anaheim and New Jersey. Yeah. Let's, Let's go, go J.S. Jaguar. Let's go, Jiggy. <laughs> You're right. Sorry, Tim. The 2023 Stanley Cup final. This is going to be between the number one seed in the Pacific, Vegas Golden Knights, versus the second wild card, Florida Panthers, for the Vegas Golden Knights. The first appearance since their expansion year. Florida, their first appearance since 1996. If you were to tell me a year ago, Tim, that the Vegas Gold Knights and the Florida Panthers would meet in the Stanley Cup Finals, I would have questioned it at first, but ultimately I could have seen it actually happen. Yeah, I think I could see that as well. Uh, Florida definitely upgraded with Matthew Kachuk. Vegas, you know what's funny? I I don't think I would have even I would have more questioned Vegas than Florida at the beginning of the season because I thought that Florida was going to be way stronger through the season. However, it took them a bit of time to get rolling. And then the Bob factor. Nobody saw the Bob factor coming. No, and this Panthers team, like they're built differently because I think of what a lot of people tend to forget. This, with the exception of they don't have Huberto, Mackenzie Weaver, Claude Giroux. This is the same team that won 58 games last season. And remember that Claude Giroux was a trade, dead, trade deadline addition. Yep. 
So this is the team that won 58 games minus weaker minus Huberto, yeah. but you switched out Huberto with Matthew Kachuk on a mission. Yeah. And it's really paid off because they come back from three, one versus Boston. They almost swept Toronto and then they sweep a defensive juggernaut in Carolina. Yeah. So, but on the other side, if you had told me that the Vegas Golden Knights with their third and fourth string goaltenders made it to the Stanley Cup final on the strength of their goaltending, I would have thought you were high. I mean, in fairness, they did that during the expansion year, though. Didn't they do it with Marc-Andre Fleury? Fleury, once they got to the playoffs, but That's true. every goalie went down. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But this Vegas Golden Knights team, like, they are no joke. Like, obviously, this isn't the same... 2018 team that was the cinderella pick that they were just a bunch of misfits and cast-offs and they made to the finals they've got a roster that has mark stone jack eichel alex piccarangelo and they also have the same guys from their expansion year and they're like florida they're deep and aiden hill comes in out of nowhere and single-handedly gets Vegas into the finals. Yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting final. What if it's just another wet thud that the magic just runs out for one of these teams? And that's what I'm kind of worried about. I, I really am because you know what? For what it was like in the conference finals for the Hurricanes. I don't want that to happen for either one of these teams because this is the first time since 2018 we're going to see a brand new Stanley Cup champion. A first-time Stanley Cup champion. Yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, at this point, I'm, I'm really not sure who's going to win. Is it going to be the offensive high-flying Matthew Kachuk? Anthony Duclair's been playing his ass off too. Like him, Barkov, they've been killer. They have. And even on the Vegas side, I mean, you'll have guys like William Carlson who's playing great. Yeah, so it's like, I don't even know. Like, it's going to be tight. But I can see something fucky happening, you know? I'm going to call I'm going to call Vegas in five. Because that's that's where my money or the fucky thing is going to happen is that the Bob factor is gone. And Matthew could, and Vegas is deep enough that they can score by committee. And Matthew Kachuk just doesn't have, like that top line in Florida just doesn't have the firepower. Like that's, I'm calling something fucky happening. You know what? It's funny you take Vegas, Tim. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say the Florida Panthers are going to finish the job. In six games. Again, Sergey Bobrovsky, yeah. and we've talked about this in these playoff episodes, is that he's playing at a level, like he was always really good. But it's the biggest understatement to say he resurrected his career. He went to a level of play nobody thought he had. We knew how good he was. He went further than that. That's fair. That's fair. And he's stealing games. And Matthew Duchuk, like you said, is on a mission who single-handedly went from a really good star player in the NHL 
to a superstar overnight. Arguably the best player in the NHL right now. Like, I respect that. And when you look at their roster, where's the holes of that right now? That's true. But at the same time, I can ask the same question about Vegas. Yep. And Jack Eichel is on a mission. And I'm not going to disrespect Vegas on this. Yeah. Because they're both deep. They're both good. Like, Watches the Stanley Cup Finals is a fucking dud. Watches <laughs> it's a dud is exactly it. And it's a shame that like Barrett Howden's injured, Laurent Brassois, like Logan Thompson, Laurent Brassois. Nor- well, Nolan Patrick doesn't exist. But uh, Barrett- Brett Howden being injured sucks for Vegas. But you've got guys like Mike Amade- Michael Amadio stepping up. Remember former Senator Michael Abadio? Yeah. But like, yeah, John, like that top six of Barbashev, Eichel, Marshall, Howden's probably going to be back, Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, and then Riley Smith, William Carlson, Mike Amadio, Carrier, Waugh, and Colasar. That's a really, that's a fantastic core core. And then you have Martinez, Pietrangelo, McNabb, Theodore, Haig, and White Cloud. Where's the hole in that? Exactly. Like, and that's the thing is this... for me going into this playoff in this sorry in this post in the Stanley Cup finals, you're looking at rosters of players who are gonna win their first cup. Mark Stone is gonna get his first cup. Jack Eichel's gonna get his first cup. You're gonna see Matthew Dechonik, Sergei Bobrovsky, Barkov go down the list. How many guys on either of these teams right now? If you take Petrangelo. Let... Alec Martinez, who scored the OT, the game series winner in 2014, and maybe one or two others. None of them have a cup. No, Mark Stahl doesn't have a cup. Radko was Radko Gudas still with Washington? I don't don't think so. Think so? Yeah, Eric Stahl has a cup from 2006. <laughs> yeah. There are three. It, it's easier to ask who doesn't. Oh, Carter Verhage. Carter Verhage has a cup. Does he? With Tampa. That's right. Uh, no, sorry. Rado Gouda was with Philadelphia. We have Philadelphia. So there's four players that have won a Stanley Cup before. I kind of want Vegas to win just because it would be very funny if Jack Eichel won a Stanley Cup before Carter McDavid, despite being trapped in buffalo yeah before like, that would be incredible. having his career almost ended yeah like that would be incredible it would and you know what like i said with all these positives watches this stanley cup finals as a dud i don't want it to be that way like i no. want it to be a seven ga- seven games of the best hockey i've ever seen but it's like it feels it feels like something fucky is going to happen, doesn't it? It does. But this has got to be one of the most compelling Stanley Cup finals in a long time. Last year's was pretty compelling, too. True. But actually, the Habs in the bubble was pretty good, too. Until, of course, Tampa just fucking destroyed them. Hey, I got a Tim Stutzel jersey out of that. So it's true. But it's like that was a. That was a we've had we've been spoiled. Let's be real. We have. What's funny is Eric Stahl's been to the Stanley Cup playoffs three of the past four years. 
and he's lost every time. And we give Corey Perry shit for losing at three straight years. <laughs> Here's Eric Stahl. His stall was with Montreal. Yep. Who was he with the other time? Dallas? No, he, yeah, he was Dallas, wasn't he? Was he with Dallas? I thought he was with Dallas in, tw- in uh, 2020, 2021. I thought he was with Dallas with the COVID year. We'll have to look that one up. But that's so funny. <laughs> Eric Stahl. Oh, Eric Stahl. What a madman. He is. I'm going to quickly look this up just because I want to make sure. Uh, let's see. He was with um, Montreal, Florida. Oh, he was with Minnesota. Minnesota. Here's here's a memory. Do you remember Eric Stahl, the Buffalo Saber? Or it's almost as funny as Eric Stahl, the New York Ranger. <laughs> or Eric Stahl didn't play for a year. And he was in Iowa. <laughs> That's wild. I know. The only thing that could have been any more wild than that, other than him you know, playing on a team called the Wild, is because he was in Iowa, he becomes the 10th member of Slipknot. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Um, But no, I do want to, I do want to see this. This is fun. It is. Like, yeah. This is wild. It is wild, Tim. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this episode if you want to head off to the close for another time. Yeah. And uh, we'll watch watch us come back in two weeks and it'll be like, Tim, you're an idiot. <laughs> this was great. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on i as well as on Instagram and Twitter at Third Line Plug. You can find me on both at Great White Gipster, and you can find Tim on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. So, Tim, it is great to have you back, by the way. Yep, it's I good can't to be wait back. to be talking about the Stanley Cup Finals here pretty soon. And, yeah. Yeah, so we actually get a decent break until the games begin because they start on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go, Tim. We actually record an episode in a timely fashion. Hey, let's do her. Until next time, guys. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sam.